For those who are visiting with us, we have been studying the book of Colossians, and we have been in this book, we're coming to the end of it after about, I don't know how long, I don't keep check of those things. But the book of Colossians moved us from what we might call the living in, in an environment that we are used to, the Christian environment, the church environment, the church people. But then it moved from that environment and took us into the homes. It spoke about marriage, about husband and wife and wife and husband. Last week we looked at the text dealing with children. Children, as I mentioned, and I hope you got it, that the fifth commandment, which is children obey your parents, is the only positive commandment in the Decalogue. And I think the reason for this is because God wants us to speak to children tenderly as he does. But now we go into the marketplace. We go to the place where we work. And our text this morning isn't going to be dealing with where we work. It is talking about us as workers at the place where we work. It is talking about living out what we have been learning from the church, in our homes, in our relationships. So it has to do with, with fathers and mothers who work in corporations, the employer and employees. It has to do with the student at school. It has to do with the housewife at home. Because our belief in God, our belief in God should affect every area of our lives. Not to put us into a straight jacket, but to give us the freedom with which to live so that when people see us, they see a contrast to the kind of world in which you and I are living. Our world is changing, but the unchanging Word of God is intended to give truth and to give meaning to life as it is lived. We will see in a moment how Paul tackles this great responsibility. What does it mean to be a Christian in the marketplace? How are you observed in the place where you work? Do people know that you're a Christian? Do they feel that they're able to trust God because they see the way you work? the way you act at work. I, I, I always remember playing golf, and I, I, I should actually say playing at golf. And, and it was a Monday morning, and where I lived at the time in Toronto, ministers got to play on Mondays every, mon every Monday morning free. So I would go and play with a friend of mine, and... <laughs> So we got to the fifth hole, and uh, a couple of guys were there, and they said, could we play with you? And so my friend and I said, sure you can. And so we got to the eighth hole, and by the ninth hole, it's going to be 18 holes, by the way. And when we got to the, about the eighth hole, we started to introduce ourselves. 
And so everyone told what they were. And then the guy said, and what do you do, Thurton? He said, I'm a minister. He said, oh my God, why didn't you tell me before? He said, why did I have to tell you? God was here before I came. <laughs> See, sometimes we behave even like Christians. We behave in a little way as to what is really observed of us. We live with our reputation. Because reputation is what we are before people. Character is what we are before God. When we live before God, we live before people. But it is possible to be just the opposite. So Paul is saying, don't allow your Christianity to end at 12 o'clock or 12.30 or whatever time you get out of the service. Realize that what you have heard should take you into the marketplace so that you make a difference. Let's see if we can learn from Paul this morning. He begins by telling us about slaves. And the question we ask ourselves is, who is a slave? Whenever we think of the word slave, we immediately think of what happened in this country and in Europe in places where people were taken against their wills to become the servants of others. That is not the word here. In your Bibles, in fact, you will have the word bond servant, a bond servant, a B-O-N-D-S-E-R-V-A-N-T. And for most of our Bibles, they put the word servant where the Bible literally speaks of slaves. Let, let, let me tell you why. The difference is that a servant has freedom. A slave has none. A servant is someone who can come and go. He might end his or her responsibility at the end of the day. A, a slave is obligated to his master 24-7, 365. He has no will of his own. So who is a slave to whom Paul is talking. Let me suggest to you, he's talking to a congregation like this. And in that congregation, we had these two classes of people, slaves and masters. And Paul is telling them how they are to work outside where they go to do their work. Let me give you a definition of a slave. It is describing someone who is under obligation to someone else. It is, it is, it is more than a bond servant. It is, it is someone who has no will of his own. He is completely, completely obligated to this person who is over him or over her, as the case may be. A slave has no rights or freedom. But when we define it, we are saying of a slave that he or she is someone must, who must understand that that person has no rights to which he can actually make any kind of demand. A slave regularly 
and accord with the social status of their, their, their owners would become a slave because they owed money to them. A slave might be someone who was captured in a war. A slave might be someone who had bills they could not pay and decided to make themselves a servant of somebody else. Many, many slaves lived separate on their own. Selling oneself into slavery was commonly used by means of obtaining citizenship in Rome. A slave was someone who wanted to gain interest into society, and so because of that, they might give themselves in certain ways under somebody else. It is suggested that in the time this text was written, please listen, there was something like 60 million slaves in Rome. 60 million. And they comprised of different kinds of people. But no one, no slave, except those in war, no slave was ever impounded by someone else because of their ethnic background. So this is not talking about that at all. In fact, Christianity has been blamed because there are some Christian leaders who have had slaves. And it was completely contrary to scripture because those people did not ask to become, they did not sell themselves, they were taken because of certain situation. The song we like to sing, Amazing Grace, has to do with a slave owner who became a Christian. So slave in this text are not people who are hijacked from one place to another because of those who could exercise authority over them. Paul uses this word of himself. In Romans chapter 1, Paul said, Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ. James used it. James, the half-brother of Jesus, used it. James, a slave of Jesus Christ. So the word did not have that negative idea that we think about when we think of the word slave. <laughs> I'm laughing because I remember an incident in Toronto I was becoming a part of the, the Billagram Crusade that was being held in, in Toronto. And uh, they had a big rally for all the people who were participating, and I was one of them participating. And so the fellow, whoever he was, I don't remember the situation, but it was humorous to me. Because the guy who was standing in front like I am before you this morning said, now, if you see someone, if, if, if you see someone with a darker skin... I want you to go to them and apologize to them for what was done to their ancestors. And so a guy came to me, and I said, I didn't know I had one. <laughs> he, he came and he apologized. I said, I don't even know you. Why are you apologizing to me? Because you see, the concept we have when we hear the word slave is immediately we think of what happened in the 18th century, the 17th century, or the 16th century. But Paul is saying something. And by the way, when Christianity invaded Rome within the first century, many, many slave owners were releasing their slaves to the place where Caesar had to say, stop, because they're moving so fast into society that they're beginning to take over. So whenever Christianity really takes a hold of any society, of any culture, 
it transformed that, that, that transformed that word of slave into someone who willingly surrenders to someone else because of something else, not because they were hijacked in and out of it. That definition was necessary. But very quickly now, I have three uh, concerns I want to share with you with a slave. Paul is talking now to the slaves. And he, re he, he reminds them of their obligation on the job. Slaves and masters used to sit in congregations, not in the same way, but in the house churches that existed in that day. And he speaks to them in verse 22 of their decorum, or verse 22, we shall see this in Colossians chapter 3. Listen to verse 22. Slaves, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with ex external services as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. Share that in a minute. Their behavior. What must be a slave's behavior who is now a Christian and is working in the marketplace? First of all, my friends, that slave must realize that in his position, he has a capacity to behave in a way that is not dictated to him by his circumstances. He's speaking to someone now in whom the grace of God has entered. That slave has a different perspective of life. He or she sees where they are as an opportunity to display how gracious God has been to bring them into the place they are now existing in. His behavior is such that it stands out I allow my conduct on the job to adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ without trying to play. And by the way, Paul doesn't say, when you go on the job, don't forget to witness. Because the job is not the place you witness. The job is the place you work. The job is the place that God puts you in order that you might display the gospel through the way you work. If the opportunity comes to witness, of course we'll witness. But my friends, I know of Christians who have been anything but a good witness because instead of doing their job, they wanted to witness. And Paul is saying, when you're on the job, behave in a way that is consistent with your faith, efficiency, discipline, Dedication, obey those who have the rule over you. And let me tell you, there are some bosses that are not the best. Before I was a Christian, I worked with one such boss. I, I, I told you, I think, before, he was such a horrible, horrible man that when I would be cutting his lawn with the lawnmower, I'd turn the more in the machine where this stuff would be going in his direction. <laughs> I hated him. I hated him. But I'm going to tell you, my friends, when Christ changed my life one good Friday morning and I went to work, I addressed him as mister. Not because I was, not because I was trying to gain points, but I addressed him because now I am, I am, not, I am not at all dictated to from my environment. I'm dictated to 
from my relationship. Slaves, obey your master. The word obey means to pay attention. It means to give heed to what is required of you. It means to respond with respect to those who are given the responsibility over you. Don't forget that Jesus came into the world and lived that life, and he asked us to live the same. The decorum. Next we get to what I call the dominaire. That is we're dealing with being authentic. Being authentic. What does it mean to be authentic? It means to be believable. Have you ever heard, have you ever heard the statement, I don't go to church because there are too many hypocrites? I like that statement. I really do. Someone used that to me some time ago in Canada, of course, and I said, really? And, and God gave me this answer. I did not go. The person said, I don't go to church because there are too many hypocrites. I said, well, I want to ask you a question. Um, have you ever seen a, two, a $3 bill? I said, no, they don't have $3 bill. I said, have you ever seen a $6 bill? Said, no, they don't have said, why? He says, because they only have one and two. And, and, and by the way, in Canada, in, that, in, in this day, it's called a loony. And if you've been across the border, those things are despicable. <laughs> you get two or three of those in your pocket, and you're walking this way. Why do people not counterfeit that which is not real? Because they can only, a counterfeit can only resemble that which is real. And if you tell me there are hypocrites in the church, you're telling me that there are real, authentic people in the church that hypocrites are trying to pretend they are. See, my friends, when you, you are authentic because you are believable. People hear your language on the job. They hear your kindness on the job. Grace and truth comes from you on the job. People begin to say there's something about that man, that slave, the way he responds. He doesn't complain. He doesn't grumble. That's what the world does. But the slave has an authentic behavior that's believable. The Christian slave does not work to gain human approval. The word says you should be sincere. That word sincere comes from a word which means to be without foreign objects. Originally, the word uh, comes from a word that used to be when, when people would sell glassware, they would, to, to, to make it weigh more or look better, they'd put foreign substance into it. But a sincere piece has no foreign substance. It's clear. You can see through it. And so Paul is saying you should be sincere. People should be able to believe you because you have give them, given them no reason not to believe you. The most beautiful story, and I can't go through the whole thing this morning, is, is, is in 2 Kings chapter 5, where Naaman, Naaman was saddled with leprosy. And they had gone and they had won the victory over one is in Israeli town. And they took a little girl, a little girl. The scripture calls her a little maid. That's all she was. 
and she was cleaning the house one day. And she must have heard Naaman's wife crying, I don't know. But she went to her and she, sa he, she said to her ba boss lady, I wish that my boss would go and see the prophet in Israel. He could tell her how, he could tell him how to overcome his leprosy. A little maid, captured by the enemy, living as a slave, feeling a sense of pity for her master and wish that he could be under Elijah, Elijah so he would be able to tell him how God could save him. That, my friends, is authentic Christianity. When you can be under the obligation of your boss and yet feel a sense of sympathy and pity for him or her. But why is this possible? It is because of the devotion of the slave. Look at why he does it, why she does it. Colossians 3.22, because of fearing God. The word fear there is misunderstood. It is the right word, but when we think of fear, we think of being intimidated by. This word means to have a sense of reverence. This is what is in the heart of, of the slave. He has a sense of reverence, but listen, he has a sense, she has a sense of calling. That his job is his calling where he displays. Sometimes we think only the pastor is called. No, friends, every person breathing this morning in this place where you work, that's your calling. And God has placed you where you are so that you, like that little maid, can say something. Why? Because there is reverence for God in your life. You're doing your work as unto Christ, not as unto the boss. And when you do it that way, my friends, they have a hard time doing anything to dislodge you. Listen, let me give you three things about the slave. A slave must be intrinsically motivated, not otherwise. That means that the quality of his work is due to the goal for his work. What's the goal of his work? It is unto God. The goal of my work is unto God. And you might say, well, that has to do only because you're a pastor. Well, when I was in college, I worked for Sears in Toronto, and I did my work, my friends, the same way as I do my work here, with diligence. I did my work with reverence because I was pleasing God, and I had a, a horrible... No, Sears is going out of business, and I can tell you why they're going out of business. <laughs> I had a boss. And we had, I, I, I had a white badge, a red badge, I'm sorry. The, the bosses wore the, the, the white one. And, and I, I worked in lamps and luggages department, which is a very interesting department. It was right beside where the security office was. And oh my word, that was fun. 
and I will not. We would have, Saturday mornings would have our meetings with the white badge. And he would say to us in lumps and luggages, you guys did a really good job this week. Guess what the next word was? Do more. Not thank you. Because they weren't there to thank me. They were there to make money. That's why Sears don't go to business. We must be motivated intrinsically. That means, my friends, that my Christianity does not end at 12.15 on Sunday. It carries into Monday through Saturday. It means that, that, that when, I, when people ask me where I was yesterday, I can tell them I was getting prepared for today. I adorn my task with grace. The Christian slave does not work for the paycheck. It is important. Please do not get me wrong. I want you to go from this place saying, the pastor saying that the check does not matter. It does. You've got to pay light bills. You've got to pay, you've got to pay gas and, and the rest of it. So I'm not saying that. But what I am saying, I'm saying, my friends, if that is all you work for, you'll be sorely disappointed. Do you know, if you listen to baseball, <laughs> uh, you've got to know that I do, and I hope you don't get me, I don't get in trouble for saying this. I do listen to baseball. Now, when the, when the Dodgers played Boston and went 18 innings, I thought, no way. I'm going to bed after 14. <laughs> My wife stayed up until 18, but I didn't. I guess she might, if she were here, she would say, that's because you're older than I am. I don't know. But my friends, the diligence and the devotion of a slave, listen, this is what I want to tell you. You know who Bryce Harper is, if you listen to baseball? He was offered this past week a contract for 10 years worth $300 million. He's 26 years old. $300 million for 10 years. He rejected it because he wants more. You see, my friends, a paycheck of $10 million, I, I had to make sure I know what $10 million looked like. He was going to be at 36. He was going to make more money than everyone combined in this place today. See, my friends, if your devotion has only to do with the end of the week, do you know, do you know that I read somewhere that there are workers in Vancouver, British Columbia, that on Friday afternoon they go into their room, pull the curtains, lock the door, and they don't leave that room until Monday morning again. They're so frustrated with life that they can't meet Saturday or Sunday and live only that they might be able to get through the weekend to meet Monday. Slaves must be diligent on the job. They must honor God. How does that happen? In a little book called Practicing the Presence of God, the Life Story of Brother Aunt Lawrence, Brother Lawrence, who's 
worked in the kitchen in the monastery. Listen to how he began his day. He begins, having considered several things that would be required, he would spend all the interval of time in prayer getting ready for his day. Then when he began in the kitchen, in the kitchen, listen to, listen to his prayer as he gets to the kitchen. Oh my God, since you are with me and I must now in obedience to your command apply my mind to these outward things, I beseech you, that's a great word, to ask with sincerity and devotion. I beseech you to grant me the grace to continue in thy presence. In my, in, in, in my room, I was in your presence, praying, preparing for today. In the kitchen, I'm in your presence, working out my prayers. Grant me the grace to continue in thy presence, and to this end, you will prosper me with assistance, receive all my works, and possess all my affection. To do it as unto the Lord and as unto men. You will frustrate them, friends. The boss who cannot put you under will try his best to, and the more you spend time with God, the more you will be able to stand on your feet before him or her. Nehemiah, Nehemiah was a man working under great restraint. And one day he went in front of the king, and the king looked into his face and said, Nehemiah, for all these years you have been here, you've never been anything but a joyful. And he was a slave working under the king of Persia. And, and his job, he was a cupbearer. doesn't mean he was carrying the cup. A cupbearer is one who drinks, tastes what the, 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 print, the king has to eat or drink first to make sure that it's not poisoned. He was a slave, and the king did not trust his own people. He could trust a slave because he knew that that slave was devoted to his God. A slave works for the future, not for the present. If you please look at the text again, it says, you know that from the Lord you will have the reward. And my friends, some of you might be working your heads off. You might be giving to your bosses. And you wonder if it's worth it because you do not see any, any recompense. Please remember, please remember, please remember, you're not at home as yet. Some rewards come in the other life, not in this. But it will not stop us from being diligent, being devoted, being authentic, so that people believe on the job what we talk to them. Let me go quickly to the master, to the slave. That's the slave to the master. And notice that uh, <laughs> there was more said to the slave than was said to the master. One writer reminds us that the same thing was true. There was more said to the husband than was said to the wife. I'll just leave that right there. Masters, masters, 
Remember then that your em remember your employee that you are representing, you have a responsibility to be fair and just to them. Interestingly, isn't it? One of the things that we're talking about today is equality and justice. The Bible addresses it. What does a master, what does it mean to be a master? Listen, there are two words that, that defines a master from which we get our English word. One of them is to be a despot. Despot, someone who rules with an iron fist. Someone who is uncaring, who is unfeeling. Someone who has no concern for the employee at all. That's not the word that is used here for master. The second word that is used for master in the original language is the word, we get our word Lord from it, kurios. And, and that word means this, it means to take the responsibility to care for those who are under you. The Bible does not disallow the position of the master and the slave, but it tells the slave how to respond to the master, and it tells the master who, how to respond to the slave. Onesimus, in the book of Philippians, you'd find that word. The book of Philemon, I should say, not Philippians, Philemon. Philemon had run away from Onesimus, who was his master. And he ran to Rome, and for some reason he landed up in jail, where Paul was. And Paul led him to the Lord. And he told Paul where he came from. And Paul wrote the letter of Philemon back to Onesimus to tell him about what happened to Philemon. And then he said this. You can read just one chapter. He said this. And I'm sending back Philemon to you. He has come and he has met Jesus and he's now my brother. And I'm sending him back to you. Please receive him not as a slave, but as a brother. He's not saying that he's not still in the position, but now he's going to relate to him not as one who owes him something, he's going to relate to him as someone to whom he owns. He has some responsibilities. Not as a slave, but as a brother. That means Christianity transforms human relationship and it breaks down the barriers so that employee and employers live with a sense of obligation to God and a sense of responsibility to one another. What is the mandate? What is the mandate of a master? Number one, the mandate is do the same thing. They are under you as you are under God. Someone who alone has the absolute power is a despot. But someone who has authority given to him for responsibility is someone who has been given the responsibility of being a lord over someone else. As they are to obey you, they will do it because you are obeying God. And I can hear someone saying, what if they are not obeying God? My answer, you obey God. And that doesn't mean, my friends, that if you get another job, that you don't go there. And by the way, if you get another job, you might find someone worse than the one you left. So you want to be careful. 
when you treat them like a brother or a sister, they will treat you like a father or a mother. The Bible says that the basis for this mandate, masters are not despots. They are not there. They're there to make sure that there's order in the business and there's profit where that is necessary. Let me quickly get to the beauty of the mandate, the beauty of it. Make sure that you treat people with justice if you are an employer. You want to make sure when we talk of justice, there are two things. It means that you have been justified by God so you can be just with other people. People are not there simply to satisfy your demand. They're there to carry out a mandate so that they can accomplish purposes for which they are a part of that company, if you please. I listened to a fascinating uh, dialogue yesterday between five leaders in business. And one of them, I think she's retired now, one of them was the, the, the CEO of, of um, um, one of the big airlines, Southwest. And it was amazing to hear her talk about how she responds to workers of Southwest. She responds to them as having to be just with them, not to take advantage of them. I don't have time to read it now, but, but James chapter 5, verses 4 to 6, James talks to employer who use employee to make money for themselves and so they can live off the wealth and the sweat of others. And James says that is wrong. Justice, my friends, is something that the Bible speaks about, and I don't have time to go into it, or I won't take time to go into this morning. So what is justice? Justice is action that is exercised with moral and ethical responsibility. If I am just with those who work for me, I am morally and ethically right with what I'm doing. It can be checked out because it begins with my relationship with God, then it comes out to men, to women, as they are a part of the community in which they work. They will not undercut the worker by being unjust. I was telling you when I was working as a young boy, I used to make seven bucks a week. And now this is not just after Adam and Eve, okay? I want you to know. But in those days, $7 was a lot of money. And, and by the way, you know what I did with my seven bucks? I went home, gave mom. And how much did she give me? Perhaps 10 cents. And I have no regrets, no regrets at all. But I used to have friends. Friends who used to say to me, I wouldn't work for seven bucks a week for anybody. And when you got your seven bucks, guess who wanted to borrow money? <laughs> Justice, my friends, sometimes, because, in fact, it was Aristotle who said it. I love this. Aristotle said, the reason we need justice is because we're not all friends. What a privilege to live in a world where we can bring some sanity to what is going on. My friends, the, the postal system in Canada is having strikes right across Canada right now. 
And there are two things that mark those who are marching with their signs, and I'm not against anything here. I'm just saying what's happening. They're marching with their signs. Hate and anger. Secondly, not only justice, but fairness. What does fairness mean? It means to treat people with equality. I don't take advantage of a woman because she's a woman. I don't take advantage of a teenager because she's a teenager. I don't use oppressive means by which to keep people in a position where I can use them as tools and not serve them. Fairness. We are, we are right now consumed with genders in this age. And my friends, if the world wants to see how gender is to be treated, I trust they can find it in the church. God has his order. But no one is to be treated in any way as being less than anybody else. Because masters and slaves alike are made in the image of God. I close with something I found in one of my books. I thought it was so good, you might benefit from it. But listen to this. God never calls a lazy, disgruntled man or woman to a job which requires the finer qualities of real manhood or womanhood. Now here's the point. Every worker may make the commonest job as an immortal task. Every worker, no matter what the job may be, can make that job an immortal task because they do it as unto the Lord and not as unto men. Dear friends in Sotoville, let's leave this place today and go to the places you work at whatever that work may be, and adorn the gospel of Christ on it. Because where God has you is where God wants to speak to those who do not know him. Let us pray. Father, we wonder what would have happened to Philemon if Paul did not reach him before he was reached by the culture in which he lived, he well may have wanted to say, I hate that man for whom I used to work, and if I ever see him again, I'll... whatever he wants to say. But the gospel reached him, and he went back to give 100% to his boss, but his boss was asked to give him 100%. And so I pray, Father, that for anyone in this place this morning that may be having a difficult time in the place where they work, grant them an abundance of grace that they will adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ in the marketplace. Oh, God, it is time for this world to get the refreshing drink of what Christianity is all about. So I pray that on the job, whether for me here or, Lord, for the teacher in the classroom or the ones who work for government or the one 
Lord, who works for themselves, grant that Jesus Christ will be authentically represented this coming week in whatever position we find ourselves so that we will let our light so shine before men that they might see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.